The Cyber Menace podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Listen responsibly. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Cyber Minutes podcast. My name is Max and I'm joined by Flynn. Let's get right into it. So last week we hopped onto a panel about newcomers into the industry and about you know what our experiences are so far in cybersecurity, how we are finding it now in the industry as well as how we got in a little bit. It was it was cool to kind of give our perspective in a way that we um, were able to show what works for us to to get in the industry? What did you think about our time on the on the panel, Flint? Yeah, yeah. So just to clarify, I was on the New South Wales ASA branch meeting. I think we've basically covered this in a previous episode. I was feeling a little bit nervous getting up there. Glass of wine did the trick as well. <laughs> once once it got up there, like once you got through the first sentence, it all just came naturally. Um, it was really good getting a lot of support from the audience. Of course, you know we're kind of sitting there telling that. We have a fresh perspective and depending on who you are, you might get offended by that. Saying like, oh, what's wrong with our perspective? <laughs> but everyone was really welcoming of us. Um, a lot of people that were really established in the industry really wanted to hear about our perspective on things, which was really good to see. And, you know, we got some laughs out of the crowds. We got a clap at the end. So I think we did a good job. We got to talk and network with people afterwards and they're all lovely people. So I think I'll be attending more in the future. Yeah, yeah, so will I. Yeah, we had a real real good response where by the end of the talk, you never know how it's going to go where you do a speech or a panel discussion and you don't know if people are going to ask questions, really, or if it's going to be a big awkward silence. But no, so we had heaps of questions. Uh, we didn't even have enough time to answer all of them. So we were able to, yeah, like Flynn said, chat to a lot of people after for networking and drinks. And yeah, that was that was really, really worthwhile. One of the sort of repeated things that we heard from people who were trying to break into the industry was, you know, how how to do it. I think that was a... Yeah, yeah. So we had, we generally had two big responses. One of them was, uh, you know, from the established people of how do we do things better? How do we improve leadership? What are you looking to lead of? Which was kind of the whole point of the panel. And then we also had some people, as you said, trying to break into the industry, which theirs was... How do I do it? Because we've covered it in a previous episode where it can be very difficult and it can be not very clear. Unfortunately, as we've said, a lot of entry-level jobs, in quotations, require five years' experience, which, as we know, is not possible. Ludicrous. Max and I both have been pretty privileged that, although we did put in the work to get there, we managed to get into the industry pretty early. But we do, you know, we have friends that are really struggling to do it. You know, they went through uni, they got their degree... They got out of uni and they just couldn't find anything. One of our friends, Tanat, we actually had a chat with him over call the other day, which you'll hear here in a second. But, you know, he got better marks than me in uni, really. Mm. And he's quite a bright kid, very talented, uh, but he just can't find his first job in the in the industry. So here's our call with him. Yeah, we'll cut to that. Good day, Tanat. How are you going? Uh, good, Max. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries at all. So, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Hey guys, my name's Tanad. I'm 21 years old, and I've recently graduated at Macquarie University with a Bachelor of IT, in which I did a double major. I majored in cybersecurity and web dev. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool, Tanad. How about we start off, I'll just ask you, what areas of cybersecurity sort of interest you the most, and what would you consider pursuing in your career, potentially? 
what really interests me is pen testing or red team, e either one. Just from the experience that I got from uni doing like ACMAC and the units there with offensive security. ACMAC was um, it's an, an annual event hosted by the community at uni, uh, Macquarie Com Computing Society um, community, in which they'd get teams of people to do CTFs, capture the flags, and other challenges. Uh, there's, there was lock picking, there was Wi-Fi hacking, there's anything to do with pen testing, really. I liked it at uni, would like to do it full-time, you know, for a career. Right now, I'm currently working just IT help desk, but that's where I would want to go eventually. I have other interests in the cybersecurity field as well, such as digital forensics, although I'm not really too sure how, how that works as a job because I haven't really seen many positions available for digital forensics type roles. Yeah, I think they, they definitely do exist, but it's sort of a, a more of a niche. In last week's episode, we talked about, uh, I went to B-Side Sydney and there was a girl who had a presentation on radio wave hacking and she actually did digital forensics, but as more of sort of a freelance sort of um, role as well. So like there's still, there's definitely a, a like an interest in having those kind of uh, positions, but I don't know the frequency of the work because it might be that an agency yeah. would hire you out or you might have some freelance stuff as well. Yeah, I would say those those two would be my, my main interest. More, more so red team slash pen testing. But, um, but yeah, that's, digital forensics is definitely an interest of mine as well. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So how many jobs? I might just go into a bit of personal questions. So feel free to not answer if you don't feel comfortable. But how many jobs in cyber have you applied to and what stage do you sort of typically get to? Right, okay. I would say maybe around 14, 13 jobs maybe this year. And most of which I I wouldn't really even get anything back from them, which is rather unfortunate. It was fairly disheartening. As a, you know, as a fresh graduate, I was hoping to uh, break into the cyber door right away, but that wasn't the case for me. With those that I got to the interview stage with, they would just be better hires than me, unfortunately. So, yeah, just, just from my experience working in help desk as well, uh, I know several other people in my exact boat right now trying to break into cyber with just help desk experience. Most of them would um, get into the interview stage, but they'd be better hires. Okay, so 15 to or so sort of applications. Yeah, it, it's yeah. interesting because people say that there's always oh there's such a high demand for security professionals always but you know you'd think that if there was such a high demand <laughs> applying to all these things you would at least be given a shot somewhere yeah it's it, it is it definitely yeah. can be disheartening it does seem like uh, i've definitely heard it for a few people that going to it help desk those kind of positions can if not land you a position in the company that you're working at they at least it's valuable sort of experience to be able to have some extra numbers on your belt to help you, you know, push through and become a, a more strong yeah. candidate when you are applying to, to, to cybersecurity jobs. So uh, I'll move on. In your experience, have you come across unrealistic expectations for entry-level roles? So this sort of experience qualifications when you're applying, do they kind of put it, phrase it in a way where you're you know, it makes you seem like you don't have enough experience to apply for, for entry-level positions. I, f I feel like entry-level is often fairly unrealistic 
So like, things you've seen have like what's that yeah. sort of what does it say when you're applying? How many years of experience does it normally say? Is it is it fairly lenient? Like does it say we're going to train you up, or have you seen more that are wanting some level of experience beforehand? I feel like it's a it's a it's a solid mix of both, but more so like one or two years experience at least working um, in IT or like having a, a major in cybersecurity or a degree in cybersecurity. Mo- most of it is it's fairly lenient but every little bit helps even like like i said i i graduated out of uni i work in it i have a major in cybersecurity, and yet i i can't really land any entry-level roles well at, at, at least from my attempts in doing so i just feel like I, I like i lack that tiny bit of extra experience that other people have even even when it comes to these entry-level roles yeah, yeah, I, I kind of see. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that there's like entry level roles shouldn't really be like maybe a little bit of experience, but more so they should be looking for people who are more motivated to come in and learn rather than like kind of slapping on yeah. these, these things that say, "Oh, you need you know so much experience for it." But yeah, it's it's it's. I know it definitely can be frustrating when you're when you're going for these positions and they're, they're just not quite letting you through. But yeah, definitely that's something that I'll mention is it's not worth uh, giving up. <laughs> you, you have to yeah, push well. persevere and try to push through and somewhere will want want you to come in and you'll be a, a perfect mix for at least a company that you apply to 100%. So Tanat, tell me, do you have any goals for the year winding down or going into next year that you'd be keen to share with us? Yeah, of course. Um, I recently subscribed to um a premium plan of TryHackMe, the uh oh, yeah. the cybersecurity platform in learning and testing and other cybersecurity related fields. I'm trying to just like grind away at that to uh just get more more experience with everything. I want to also compete in Down Under CTF, yeah, which is also another annual event for um capture the flags similar to HackMath. I feel like just participating and uh, always learning these things will help me be the better hire that I've always wanted to be. And that that's something like I struggled with out of uni as well, is I kind of just stopped learning because I was burnt out. But I definitely want to get back into a habit of learning things again. Yeah. And I think that would that help me nail um, my next interviews. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't agree more learning and making sure that you're constantly trying to upskill yeah. and adapt yourself it, it's not only good for you but it, it shows like a, a level of dedication even after uni it's a it's a it's a good sort of trait to to have so thanks so much tonight for for coming on and um having a chat just a uh, a little fun question to sort of close it off if you got to talk to your past self as you were starting uni would there be any advice that you would give Kind of similar to like what you said with don't give up and don't get disheartened. Yeah. I would say the same thing to myself back then because um I definitely could have applied for more jobs. Yeah. I definitely could have applied for internships even during, you know, the penultimate year. There were a lot of internships um available that I just didn't apply to for whatever reason. Maybe maybe network more, talk to people more. I wasn't very sociable outside of you know our, our own friend group but yeah i think that that's what i would say to myself if i could awesome thanks so much to that no worries thanks for having me man
Yeah, thanks again to Matt for all of that and for having a chat with us. That was really, really informative. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed hearing that uh, perspective from someone who's you know trying to still break into the industry a little bit. Then I heard one of your family members had a bit of a close call with a uh, cybersecurity incident. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners, if you're in the tech field, as soon as something goes wrong, your family members will call you up immediately. Uh, basically, this family member called me up saying like, hey, I've basically, my bank, it was a Coles credit card, I think. So it wasn't their main bank account, which was lucky. They said like, I've got a text message saying that $120 or so has come out. Like, is this a scam? And I said, first thing you should do, don't reply to that text, go straight to their website and call their line directly. That way, if it is a scam trying to do some things where, you know, they're trying to get you to call back in a panic, that's going to subvert that. They did call them. Unfortunately, they didn't really get much of a response. Then the family member actually went and looked at the credit card account that it was coming out of, and they basically lost $1,200. Um, so that was pretty scary. They um, called me back saying like, oh, what do I do? And I said, you know, immediately cancel the card. It thankfully was pending and as a lot of people know, which is a good lesson, a lot of times credit cards are more secure than debit cards for the sole reason of credit cards are the bank's money. They have an incentive to get the money back because it's their money. Uh, debit cards is your money. So they will find any excuse to say, no, you lost it. Yeah. You said just then that they tried to reach out to the bank themselves, but they didn't They didn't pick up. Didn't pick up. No. Which was not great customer service. You know, we call them out. <laughs> Was a Westpac? No, no, no. It was the Coles, like Mastercard thing. I don't know what it's like associated to. Thankfully, it wasn't a main one that pays a lot of bills or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Coles, Mastercard, pick up your shit. Yeah. So thankfully, a lot of the money was pending. They stopped it in time. But yeah, definitely a big, scary, eye-opening moment. So was this more of a case of of credit card theft where they stole? Yeah. The- they stole the details yeah exactly well we don't actually know because they had no idea how they could have done it they said the only recent time they've been online shopping was on something like amazon so it was probably fairly secure but as i said to them this could be something from years 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 yeah. back yeah um, depends it all depends on how old the card is and yeah exactly which i'm not aware of how old the card is but it was definitely an eye-opener for them and so that text message that they got turned out to be a real text yeah it was it was real um, which also isn't good if the text message you can't tell is real that's coming from the bank or financial institution. That's it feels like it's a, another classic case of, you know, text message not really being that secure. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry. Basically, it was like the yes-no thing, which seems pretty dodgy. It was basically, was this you? Yes, no. Mm. I think you should probably start with a phone call with things like that. Yeah. That way, at least with a person, uh, it's a similar problem where you can still get socially engineered, but you know you can get sort of verification to say, like, give me your ID number. Obviously, someone could spoof that, not spoof it, just lie about it, really. Yeah, so maybe a, a second form of ID. I feel like in those texts, a good way to to kind of get that communication, that rapport going, if you're going to call it that, with your customers, is maybe in the text message say, look on your online version please don't use this message as a as a verification of uh, what's going on go check your bank details now but without providing a link to it 
Yeah, no, definitely no links and text messages as well. I don't think that was there, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but links, if you're a company sending out SMSs to your customers, no links. It's always dodgy. Well, from the customer-facing kind of perspective of it, you would think that saying in the text message, don't base everything off this text. Go and go check your system yeah, yeah. now. That might be actually a good way to verify it. I can't remember which company it was, but they do like the do not reply to this and then say, if this wasn't you, call this number. And then it's like a hotline dedicated to... You know, even then stuff. even then, call this number, it could be... It could be. Yeah, there's no... There's no great way around it unfortunately i feel like just saying check your account don't use anything we're going to give you it is true check your own account now please <laughs> yeah that, i feel like that's a that's a relatively straightforward gets to the point it has that urgency which isn't great but when something like this happens you still do need uh, a smidge of urgency i right? suppose yes but let's do a big deep dive i suppose Imagine if I was a scammer, I took money out of your account and I know that it's going to get frozen at some point. Yeah. So then I then message you saying like, hey, check your account, knowing that I've taken money out. Mm. And then like that would be very advanced for a scammer. Mm. But then I guess you'd have called, I don't know. I'm thinking worst case scenario. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I feel like if I was a scammer in that case, I would try and hide the transaction as something else. Yeah, yeah. It, the- Contact the person and say oh, this was taken out for this reason, but please do not please do not report it to the bank or yeah. <laughs> something in that sort of sense. Yeah. But yeah, thankfully, it all worked out in the end. They caught it in time. Yeah. So what are some of the lessons in the end? Take things seriously, but B, take a step back and also, you know, walk yourself through it. Don't panic. Panic is never going to be a good thing. Um, panicking makes you make bad decisions. As we've always said, never click links in text. Always just call the person, even though that didn't work for this case, which is really bad on the company's part. Cole. Um, Yeah. And do your due diligence. If there is a sense of urgency, it's hard to say because, you know, obviously it's money involved. But I would say if you ever have any doubt, just cancel the card. Even though it can be a massive pain in the ass getting everything back, you don't want to ask $1,200. Yeah, exactly. You'd rather be safe rather than sorry, I'd say. Well, there was an interesting article that was released on ChatGPT just this week as well. So from my understanding, what it is, is it's a type of attack where you put in a word and ask the chatbot. In this case, it was GPT 3.5 Turbo. So the ChatGPT we all, we all know and love, the free one. They basically put in a query that said, repeat this word indefinitely forever what was the word again it was uh there was multiple uh poem was one that i tried to actually use myself but i couldn't replicate it so what this attack is sort of doing is it's making the chatbot spit out some of its trading data uh it's got a particular name i i see uh, a word here is divergent attack it's basically spitting out its training data when it's having to repeat words indefinitely some of this data allegedly contained PII and some of the other data being used to test on ChatGPT, but overall, not too good. Yeah. Working at uh, the Macquarie University Cybersecurity Hub, this was something that I've seen a couple times. Basically, a lot of the people doing research there yeah, were working on trying to get data leakage out of chatbots. Hopefully, one day we'll get one of those guests on. Hint, hint. <laughs> but yeah, it. It's kind of something that people have said about 
and worried about for years with AI was training data. Where's the training data? Is it secure? Um, it's really interesting seeing attacks like this. And I think it's kind of a window into the future of where things could go wrong. Like imagine a really large scale version of this where someone's not, you know, cleansing training data, not using uh, mock training data, mm. and somebody manages to leak. Imagine if all of ChatGPT data used this was leaked. It would be catastrophic. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Imagine all your your queries being leaked back to to your account. Yeah. Well, there's another issue. Is um, it's quite an old statistic, but I use it in training sometimes as well. Is I think Asia Pacific has the most compromised ChatGPT accounts, and if you compromise someone's ChatGPT account, uh, you don't have to worry about this stuff because they can link all your queries to you anyway. Yeah. And what a lot of people do is they put sensitive company data into these um, into ChatGPT, which never do. And they basically just compromise a company because they find sensitive data in there that people are putting in there not thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard about that being an issue, kind of widespread. It's not great. Um, How do I respond to this customer email? Yeah. It, don't always take personal data out of a query uh at least you're not you know putting your company sensitive data in there another thing that i thought was worth bringing up was i was reading somewhere that there was an opinion of a i won't say the name but someone who works in cybersecurity. they said that there isn't a real big difference between small companies and big companies in terms of challenges so the challenges that they face are very similar now, I was interested to get your opinion on this, Flynn, because I've um, I've heard a few different people's opinions that I just wanted to hear yours as well. Yeah, I couldn't disagree more, honestly. Based off of the statistic thing, so we went off of this, we said this last week in the ASD threat report, uh, small businesses suffered $45,000 for each um, cyber attack on average. Medium businesses was almost 100000 and large businesses was 70000 Like... Even just looking at that statistic, you would think if it was the same problem, you would see a linear scale upwards because large companies tend to hold more data and more PII data. So if they're having the same challenges as the small data, it yeah. would just be more money getting taken out of the you would companies. You would think so. But even from my own experience, well, let's just talk about the human factor. Yeah, I would say for a lot of small companies, the human factor can often be still a weakness, but one of your biggest strengths as well. Having a positive reporting data and a positive culture with a small team is very beneficial because if anything goes wrong, you're always going to that one guy who knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. You're always reporting up. You're always, and you can get in touch with somebody with a quick phone call. Yeah. But as I'm sure you can probably attest to, Max, as well, with bigger companies, human factor is often a really big weakness because you know you have all these big controls in place, but it doesn't matter if somebody clicks a phishing link. Yeah. And, you know, getting people involved and absorbing training can be a lot more difficult at a bigger company because people, you know, are just trying to get on with their job. Yeah, that's true. And I think another thing to put onto that is when you have such a big company, like you said, you're, you're, you might just see yourself as a small cog in the machine. You might not feel as, in, as inclined to reach out to... Uh, maybe one of your leaders or a coworker, you might just think, oh, I just don't really care. I guess another part of it as well is agility. The the challenge of being agile and forming solutions to new problems, I think at a kind of medium business, but on the smaller end, if you've got a cyber team that you're working through with your coworkers and you're trying to put a 
project together and trying to bend the controls to get this project through, that's going to be a lot easier to mold together rather than if you're working in a huge company, say you're working at Telstra somewhere, if you're trying to put in a new project, there's a lot more things that you may need to consider. There's a lot more change management, a lot more hierarchy you got to go through. Yeah, uh, absolutely. One thing from exercises I often see is the start of the exercise is often a big confusion because people are trying to get into their team and what they've got to do in their team. A lot of the time we try to be realistic with our exercise, but also make it challenging. We'll try and take out someone who's really important and then the alternate is supposed to step in. There's usually a lot of time we see a lot of confusion around that, the roles and responsibilities within incident response teams. The benefit of a smaller company is that you you ha- you know the team, you know who to go to. Yeah. Um, that being said, if that person gets taken out, you're kind of screwed because you've got yeah. somebody there. Yeah. But there's a lot less confusion. So, you know, small teams are good and bad because you don't have, you know, the big fancy technical controls in place a lot of the time. But if you can keep up a good culture, which is, I would say, is number one for a smaller company. Make sure you're keeping each other accountable. Yeah, keeping each other accountable, keeping each other in the loop about security. Um, that's going to be really beneficial. And the human factor is going to be actually an asset yep. for you. Whereas a lot of the time I see with bigger companies is the human factor is all often the chink in the armor. Yeah. I suppose as well, there are some similarities, I'd say. I'd say, you know, making sure that communication is is right within the rest of the business from not only cyber to business but cyber to the uh, higher ups of board members that communication is something that you're going to find everywhere and that needs to be airtight uh and i suppose another similarity in a, in a small company versus a real big company is that you know everything's always adapting and everything's always changing in the cyber landscape so if you're a professional working in either, you still have to be on your toes and willing to adapt somewhat of an agile kind of mindset um, either ways. But the way that you would solve issues, I think would be, and solve challenges was the was the question, is going to be, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think it, that would be more different than what they are similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I think they can't really be compared. They're too different, yeah. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that the Cyber Minutes podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Have a cybersecurity question? Send an email to cyberminutespodcast at gmail.com as we'd love to answer it. Stay cyber safe.